have I found my soulmate? And we've seen this in marriages, right? Where people's like, oh my gosh, is this person my soulmate? It is a hard thing because it, it can lead to those questions about, well, should I be with my spouse? Or we've hit some hard times or we're not seeing eye to eye with things. So does this just mean I'm with the wrong person? And so people end up having huge conflicts and really crushing them. You may be one choice away from a thriving marriage. Welcome to the Operation Thriving Marriage Podcast with Brian and Jennifer Hartman. So Brian and Jen here for another podcast with a question for you, sweetheart. Do you think I'm your soulmate? Okay, that just flew out of your mouth. I mean, this is this kind of the equivalent of does this outfit make my butt look big? Well, I, I figured coming that this from a just, guy. I figured this should be a big group therapy as anyone's listening to us. So just get therapy on help me feel better about myself. Your job here is actually to encourage me and make me feel better. Well, I do want to build you up with this, Brian. But if any of you know us and have talked to us before, listened to us before, you know that this is a, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine stemming back into the early 2000s when Brian and I were being coached before we were getting married in like a premarital class. And just that concept of a soulmate, I've just never bought into that at all because I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are out there and it, it it's just bothersome to me that of this pop culture idea that there's only one person out of the how many billion on earth for us. I'm sorry for those of you that are listening to us if we're sounding unromantic because romance is a huge part of being married and having a thriving marriage. But soulmates aren't real. It's made up. The Bible doesn't say anything about soulmates. I mean, if you think about this, I mean, people will try to say, well, look, Eve was made for Adam and we've got that story about humanity being created and that's all true and stuff but then the rest of them it's not like god then okay i'm gonna make brian and jen and they're gonna go together. it's just that's not biblical at all it actually this whole idea of a soulmate came really from middle-aged romance novels not middle-aged like old people i guess i'm middle-aged so i'm old I just called myself old, uh, but they're from the Middle the Ages. Middle these... Ages, <laughs> the Middle Ages romance novels, and this idea of this like love, this long lost love that's somewhere out there that you've got to find, and you can. It's going to be a hard quest to discover your true love, opposed to all these other random people that you come across. Because true love conquers all. Sleeping Beauty by Disney. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Disney. I would not get marriage advice from Disney. Just saying. Mm -hmm. True. So it it is more of a platonic concept, not a biblical concept. Thank you, Plato. Yeah, it's I mean, so, you know, real reality is not what you can taste, touch, see and feel. It's the spiritual, the forms, the shapes. It's this this other thing out there. This immaterial is more real than the material. And so then there's the, the real you is your spirit, which that's not a biblical concept. The real you is all of you put together one human that has spiritual and physical characteristics rather than the spirit. And so this idea that your soul is connected with some other soul, I mean, even, I don't want to go too far into philosophy, but Plato had this weird idea that like we were originally like four-armed, four-legged creatures that got separated and sexual desire is all about putting that creature back together. It's just, ooh, it's silly. Almost it sounds like a horror novel, actually. <laughs> <It does. laughs> 
But also, I mean, this creates so many problems when you're thinking about like, okay, have I found my soulmate? And we've seen this in marriages, right? Where people's like, oh my gosh, is this person my soulmate? It is a hard thing because it, it can lead to those questions about, well, should I be with my spouse? Or we've hit some hard times or we're not seeing eye to eye with things. So does this just mean I'm with the wrong person? And that's not the case. And so people end up having huge conflicts and really crushing their marriages. There was a a book, and we don't want to, this poor woman, I don't remember, I didn't write down her name. We read an article. She wrote um, the book, When Your Soulmate Says No, and really got panned on the internet. We're not here to make fun of her or ridicule her. But her story was this idea that she was married and had been married for 14 years and then came across this old flame at a dinner party. Was it an old flame or was this a stranger? They had met before. So I I don't know how hot the flame had been in the past, Uh but there was definitely, they had a relationship before and then they come across each other. And I mean, she's looking at him and it's like, man, I mean, she, it talks about in this article about, I mean, she's looking at his chest and I mean, the dude was cut. He was hot. And she was super attracted to him, and they had this conversation. And from there, what ended up happening was she was ready to just let go of this 14-year marriage and all of that history and investment, you know, for somebody who she she had come across in, in the past. And just how weird, at least it's weird to me, because she ended up just really putting so much stake on this individual. Yeah, she ended her marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, after 14 years, she wow. ended her marriage, tried to reconnect with this guy, and he said no. And how horrible, because I don't think she should have left the marriage anyway, but that she left the marriage thinking she's going to jump into this fantastic, life-giving, perfect relationship with this soulmate, as she called it, and it didn't pan out, how horrible. Yeah, so this is a complete myth. This soulmate, the idea there's this one person that God created that is the perfect match for you. And your job is to go find that one person. And oh my gosh, I'm married to someone. And what if they're not my soulmate? What if they're not that one person that God made for me? What do I do? And to me, it sounds like really a a cruel Thing if that's what God did, because you'd have to find your soulmate who is in whatever corner of the world from you. And if you don't find each other, you're going to have a, an unfulfilling life, let alone marry somebody else and maybe have a very unfulfilling marriage because you didn't find your one person. And, and am I outside of God's will? Have I, I married the wrong person? And why? Well, God says I shouldn't get divorced, but I've married the wrong person. Have I sent my life on just this catastrophic trajectory where I'm never going to be able to do what God intended for me because I made this decision and it was the wrong one person who happened to actually be in some random country um, backpacking in Europe when I met the person that I ended up marrying? Oh, no doubt. But I, I, again, I would see God as being cruel if that's how he designed things. And I, I don't think that that's how it was designed to, to be. First of all, this idea of a soulmate, it's a myth. It's misunderstanding humanity, misunderstanding how God created. I mean, it's, it's a platonic concept and it comes from romance novels, but it's also a misunderstanding of God's will and mm-hmm. how God's will works. Because a lot of people, I mean, 
they think that God's will is like, I like the metaphor of, they think it's like this hidden path through the woods. So you're walking and you've got to pick carefully and oh, if you miss the path, you're going to end up getting eaten by some monsters. <laughs> you know? Right. It almost, it almost sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. It's like if you don't pick the right chalice, you're in big trouble. You chose poorly. That's right. And if you've seen The Last Crusade, you get the joke. Uh, if you haven't, shame on you. Go watch Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. 1980s. Fantastic movie. But it's, it's not this hidden trail. It's not, oh my gosh, we've got to pick our way on this little game trail through the woods. God's will is more like a highway. And so we, we live in Ann Arbor outside Detroit. And if we want to go from where we live to Chicago, we'd get on the freeway I-94. And it doesn't matter which lane we are in the freeway. If we go in the left lane, we'll get there faster unless we get beside, behind the random person in Michigan who likes to drive below the speed limit in the left lane. Why do you do that? Move over, get in the right lane. Anyway, whatever lane you get in, you may get fat, go faster or slower getting to Chicago. But if you True. stay on the highway... Mm -hmm. And don't run into the barriers, right. which are there to protect you, to keep you going. Then you're going to get to Chicago. If you take an exit, well, you still might get to Chicago, but it's going to take you longer. Mm -hmm. Now you got to figure out your way, how to get back to the freeway or find some other path. God's will is like the freeway, like I-94. It's got some guardrails on the sides. Uh, and I love the um, language the Bible uses. It says, don't turn to the left or to the right. Keep going straight ahead. Don't turn to the left or the right. Stay on the freeway. Don't turn to the left or the right. Just keep going. But there's a, it's a big freeway. Mm -hmm. And God's will is not this tiny little goat trail in the middle of the woods that you've got to pick your way through to find. It's this huge highway. God has a lot, gives us a lot of choice and a lot of freedom. And he puts up boundary markers and these little barricades to keep us from going places that are going to hurt us. Now, we can choose to go to those places that are going to hurt us, but finding a spouse is the same way. There's some boundaries that you need to think about, but it's really not, oh, I've got to find this one person. And so if you're engaged looking for that spouse, you need to think of what are the godly characteristics you're looking for in a spouse. Absolutely. And I, I think that there are some non-negotiables as to that, especially in the West where we are able to choose spouses, but also the way that God's plan for marriage works, even if this was in a different time or if this was in a different culture uh, right now where people were betrothed to each other and they weren't choosing their spouse, their spouse was chosen for them, they can have a fantastic thriving marriage as well. Absolutely. And we see that throughout scripture. So it's not about finding that one person that God created for you. That's a myth. It's never going to happen. And if you hold on to that myth, it's actually going to make your marriage less happy, less thriving. It's going to be a barrier to have that thriving marriage. But what you can do is be the soulmate or what you think a soulmate should be for your spouse. Be the kind of spouse that you should be for your spouse. And we talk about this a lot. It's not about changing your spouse. Having a thriving marriage is all about you being the person God created you to be. And the first thing is presume goodwill in your spouse. And you hear us talk about this a lot, but you need to presume that whatever's going on, what your spouse is doing, they're not trying to ruin your life. They're not trying to ruin your marriage. So presume goodwill. They want what's best for the marriage too. They love you. They chose you. You are a special person, that one special person they've chosen. Not that was made for them, 
but they chose to make you that one special person. So presume goodwill. And the next thing is you want to make sure that you're serving your spouse out of the love that you have for your spouse. And as we're going through this list, this is what you need to do. And your spouse should be doing the same thing for you. But since you can only control your actions, it's important for you to to listen to these things and jump in, share this with your spouse and make sure that they're they're looking at this too. But serve your spouse out of love. And sometimes that just comes from these actions. It's not necessarily having the warm and fuzzies all the time, but I'm choosing to love you. So I'm choosing to do these actions for you that express love. And one of those things you'll find too is when you're presuming goodwill and you're serving out of love, the natural response is for your spouse to do the same thing Mm -hmm. and have these conversations we talk about on this podcast all the time about building that. And then nothing is prioritize your spouse. You know, what happens yes. a lot is when you don't feel like a priority or you don't make your spouse a priority, then some old flame sitting across from you at, uh, at a dinner party all of a sudden looks very enticing, but you've allowed something to get between you and your spouse and you failed to make that a priority. And just the whole, I, I think people can go into this especially if they're in a rough time in their marriage, looking at a past boyfriend or girlfriend from college or high school or whatever the case may have been. I mean, of course, there was a reason why you broke up and went your separate ways. But you never think about that when you're in the middle of the hard stuff. You think about all the great, oh my gosh, we had this wonderful time at the beach. Why did you break up in the first place? But also, what about the concept of the unrequited love that that we, we talk about or the love that couldn't fully get expressed. It's like if, if something hadn't kept us apart, you know, it, it could have worked out or it could have potentially worked out. I think that that was a big thing going back to Romeo and Juliet, even looking at the film Titanic, these lovers were kept apart and if only they could have been together, but that's not how it works in the real world. It makes for a great story. And mm-hmm. those middle ages on um, romance novels that we were talking about earlier, that's where that comes from. This idea that the, unattainable love is more pure and the right love. It It's a great story because it taps into a longing and a desire. Lancelot and Guinevere. It's not real love. That's true. That's very true. Or it's, it's immature or it, it's idealizing its infatuation. But you know, how, how would have things really played out if Romeo and Juliet had lived on together and 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 been able to connect in the end. Yeah, you know, imagine middle-aged Romeo and Juliet with a pack of kids around them and their in-laws are still fighting and having a war over the city and now they're in the middle of it. It's it's not like it was going to get any move, better. Move you two, just move. <laughs> move out of town. <laughs> That's get right. Get away. God did not make you a soulmate. God did not make one specific person for you. Your goal shouldn't be to find that one person God created for you. Your goal rather should be to become the spouse that God always intended for you to be. And also, I, I just feel like if you want to frame it more like this, if you really love that soulmate concept, I would say that soulmates are made by you and your spouse. You make each other that they're not born and then they're out there for you to find. 
Jen and I started Operation Thriving Marriage to help couples and churches take marriages from merely surviving to thriving. We've got our book, we've got a blog and resources for our coaching ministry, and you can bring us out for an Operation Thriving Marriage experience. For more information, go to OperationThrivingMarriage.com. That's OperationThrivingMarriage.com.